Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 533-42 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Stay cool this summer with AC Pro and O'Reilly Auto Parts. Right now, get a $15 O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card after mail in rebate with the purchase of select AC Pro ready to use refrigerant products that include a hose and gauge. Beat the heat before you hit the road with AC Pro at your local O'Reilly Auto Parts store. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. All right, we're back. It's another Carolina podcast, and it is officially football season. We have several days throughout the year that we do this. It's usually too early, whether it's SEC media days, whether it's spring practice, whatever the case may be. But sitting here on a Wednesday morning, South Carolina has already had its first practice of the 2020 football season. And we finally have from the SEC a full schedule with dates times to be determined but that's kind of usual you're, you're normally you don't normally know all those times before uh, the season actually starts so other than that it feels pretty normal to be where we are right now very happy to have chris and wes as always to discuss it with me even though uh, y'all didn't get a chance to go to practice yesterday because nobody is allowed to go to practice and it was already a pretty closed affair for will muschamp but um i guess any excuse he can have to have fewer people at practice is a good thing and obviously that is in the best interest of Everybody, just in terms of uh, player safety, health protocols, things like that. But South Carolina has practice, and uh, we have heard from a couple of South Carolina football players, Keir Thomas, Ryan Holinsky, who spoke after practice. All that's on GamecockCentral.com, and we're going to talk about that. But first things first, 
We have to talk about who South Carolina is playing this year, and we finally, after a couple weeks of waiting, uh, even after we found out the other two opponents of South Carolina would have this year, we didn't know the exact lineup of it until last week, and here we go. We have it. South Carolina opens the 2020 football season on September 26th with Tennessee before going on the road for two straight weeks against Florida and Vanderbilt, coming back home to play Auburn, traveling to Baton Rouge for a game against LSU, open week, Texas A&M at home, at Ole Miss, home against Missouri, home against Georgia, at Kentucky. Uh, I'll start with you, Chris. I was I don't know why I was surprised. I had no reason to have any sort of expectation for what the schedule was going to be. I, I, it just it, it looks uh, different seeing this on, on paper, and maybe it's because it's a conference-only schedule, but what were your first impressions of seeing Carolina's 2020 schedule? Yeah, I mean, I uh, so obviously it's tough. It's a tough schedule, which we knew, okay, I mean, we knew this was going to be a difficult schedule, even with the eight SEC games, and then you throw in Clemson at the end. So really, you know, everything, the order's different, but you're keeping all the same SEC teams, and then you're adding a couple. And, you know, for the most part, when you add an SEC team, that's not going to be an easy game. It's not going to be a gimme game. Ole Miss is a more winnable game. Auburn's going to be a difficult game, we think, based on what we we believe that team is going to be preseason, but you do get them at home. But yeah, it's difficult. I think it was good for South Carolina to, you know, you get five games. Um, the, the first half is difficult. You know, you finish up with LSU. You do get the bye week in the in the middle of the season. I think that's a positive. You know, you regroup. You know, and and then attack the back half. But um, it's tough. I mean, a lot of people are looking at it and say saying Tennessee. You know, at home with the expectations that they have of being an improved squad, you know, that's a tough game. But I, I think, man, that's the, maybe the most intriguing game of the year, and you get it right off the bat. It's a really, really important game for South Carolina. That was the case going into this season for recruiting, uh, you know, for, for on-field purposes. This is a team that these two teams butt heads a lot, you know, um, on the recruiting trail. There's some staff carryover, obviously. South Carolina has a couple guys on staff who were at Tennessee last year. So it's just a really intriguing matchup, and it's one where you, know, you sort of got Georgia at the top of the East. You got Florida nipping at their heels. They're getting a lot of talk and a lot of hype preseason that you know could very well be deserved. Mm-hmm. And then you've got Tennessee who's sort of trying to leave South – give the impression at least that they're leaving South Carolina behind to go chase those other two. For South Carolina, they got a chance to erase that that sort of momentum right off the bat. And so – you know, just general overview, I think it's it's another difficult schedule for South Carolina, one that's going to be very difficult to get through, you know, unscathed, and, and that's the case really for everybody. So this is a team that needs to take a step forward and show improvement. This is a different year. This is different expectations, obviously, with all this that's going on in a conference-only schedule. But, uh, you know, some really good matchups in there, uh, but a difficult one. That, those are kind of my impressions, uh, at least especially of the Tennessee opener as well. And I want to come back to that, and in just a minute we'll kind of go through uh, game by game, obviously not full analysis because we have a, a long way to go before we can even adequately analyze South Carolina, but just to give our, our brief impressions of, of what each game should look like at this point for South Carolina. But, Wes, again, we knew who the two, uh, the ten teams were going to be, but looking at this, and, and Chris just kind of went through it again there, uh, this seems like it, in terms of where all of the games fall, like, maybe about as about as about as tough as you could have put it together for South Carolina again jumping right in with Tennessee then you have a road trip I mean the, the, you look at the back half of the schedule with a, you know 
a couple of winnable games in there with Missouri, uh, Ole Miss, and Kentucky. But by and large, I mean this is a this is like again this is about as tough as you feel like the the actual order of the games could have been for South Carolina. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, I think I don't know really if there would have been an easy way to uh, you know to throw it together. I mean, maybe maybe do you want to start with a little bit easier game potentially? Yeah, but I mean, with these ten teams, no matter how you ordered it, South Carolina was going to be favored in. Um, I don't know, not not a not a bunch of them. Obviously, I think there are different expectations for for a ten game SEC schedule than there would be for a normal, you know, schedule in a, any given year. So, I think, like like Chris said, you know, the fact that you have the the bye week in the middle um, does help you sort of regroup a little bit. But man, that that Tennessee game, it, it would have been one that we would have circled anyway. I think. Um, you know, as sort of being a swing game for South Carolina. You know, they had beaten Tennessee three years in a row before, obviously, uh, just having an awful second half last year that um, just really were, were in a pretty good position at halftime of that game and then just did not play well in the second half at all, didn't really make adjustments, didn't make any plays. And now, boom, you're playing them right out of the gate. And Tennessee was a team that had some momentum at the end of last year. And the the flip side of this, though, guys, is that if you start out with a win against Tennessee, then it also has the complete opposite effect of that defeating loss to start the year that South Carolina had last year, which was a surprise. Um, you know, you, you look at Vegas right now, I think they're going to – this is probably the closest game as far as the projections um, in the SEC for week one. Definitely. And, um, dude, it, it, it just offers an opportunity for you if you – you know, I think if you if you're South Carolina, you look at these first four games, and uh, you know if, if you could be two and two after those four games, I, I think you're you're feeling pretty pretty happy. And the, the road to getting there, I, I think obviously is to start off with a win against Tennessee to actually build some momentum. You know, it what it wasn't that long ago, guys, that I, I think two years in to the Will Muschamp era everyone was feeling pretty good and, and everyone felt like this program had exceeded expectations. Um, you know, but then you go back to losing the bowl game two seasons ago and then going right into that. I mean, I, I don't even know if we can put in the words how deflating that come from behind uh, win for UNC and loss for South Carolina, obviously, was to start the year last mm-hmm. year. So to have the opportunity to have the opposite effect here, um, you know, really is massive and you know, I, I hate the phrase "must win" because it doesn't really exist. But, but man, talk about what a boost it could be if you did win this game. Well, you're right. It is such a it's a high risk, high reward, and maybe not risk reward because you're not exactly risking anything. But it's just a high pressure kind of game. And you know, I guess Chris, when I look at this and think that it's a hard construction of the schedule, I, I think the the reason I say that is because if you're a Carolina fan, you probably either wanted to start with Vanderbilt. You know, you're, you're going to be better than Vanderbilt this year, or maybe a, a Missouri team, or you say like maybe Missouri because they're breaking in a new head coach, uh, maybe Ole Miss because they're breaking in a new head coach and it's their first game, so you're going to expect them to have a few more kinks to work out than a team that's basically been. I mean, yeah, they've had a lot of staff turnover, but the team's mostly the same. The head coach is the same. A lot of what they're doing, especially defensively, is going to be the same. So start with one of those yeah. three games and either ease into the season or. And Eric, Eric Kimry and I talked about this a little bit the other day, the idea of starting with Georgia, with Auburn, with LSU, or maybe even at Florida, 
presented an interesting possibility, I thought, as well, just because there is so much variance in the first game. I, I don't think it matters how much you practice. There's always going to be some first-game jitters, especially for young players. There's going to be some weird turnovers, some fluky things that happen, and if South Carolina wants to upset one of those teams, it seems like week one is a very likely time for that to happen. But when I was looking at it, the only two games I I thought I didn't want Carolina to have to start with were Tennessee and Kentucky because both of those games, as Wes mentioned, are just so, so pivotal. Um, And so I understand why Carolina fans would be nervous about starting with Tennessee because if you lose it, like that's sort of that that was always going to be maybe the pivot game of the season in terms of the difference between probably six and four and four and six. But like Wes said, Chris, the flip side of that, if you start that with if you start the season with a win against Tennessee, all of a sudden like five and five and six and four, I think becomes your floor. Yeah, I mean, and it is a good point. So the thing about starting with a Vandy, Ole Miss, or Missouri, which you know I don't know if everybody would agree, except for Vanderbilt for sure. Those are probably like the three, quote-unquote, most winnable games on the schedule, right? I mean, like you're going to – probably most people are going to circle Vandy as a win. Then you look at those other ones, and they're probably in the winnable category. Certainly not – you know, probably could still put them in the swing game category. But the thing about starting with any of those is like those are teams that if you're going to go out and make some noise this year, those are are teams that you should be. You know, if you lose – one, two, or all three of those games, and you've got bigger problems for the purposes of this season than just, you know, hey, can, can we go beat Georgia or Florida or somebody like that or Tennessee, whatever. Um, so I think it is better to start. Now, it is interesting that the two biggest, like, the two biggest swing games in the East for South Carolina, they're bookends. You know, you open with Tennessee, you close it out with Kentucky, right? I mean, those are, and that makes it maybe a little bit more of a pressure cooker, but. Wes makes a great point, and it's an opportunity to go out and really kick off the season extremely well. You know, I think, you know, maybe we're overrating the, the whole, you know, setup of the schedule, though. I mean, there's a decent argument for that because you could argue this. I mean, look at what South Carolina did last year, right? I mean, they they go and they just have a completely deflating loss to North Carolina. And that was after a completely deflating loss in the bowl game. It was at the same place as two ACC school. And so it was already doom and gloom to start the season. Um, they they didn't play well at all against Missouri. Then they go beat Georgia. I mean, against all odds. They beat Georgia. Then everybody's feeling good. Then you get into the first half of the Florida game and South Carolina's playing well. And the whole narrative sort of shifted, right? It's like things they, – they, yeah, they started out bad, but but look at them now. But then the second half of Florida happened – you know, things just fell apart. So I think it really just depends on how you play. I mean, maybe at times we, and I'm including myself, may overrate the whole mental aspect of how it's scheduled. But I certainly think, and this will even contradict that thinking, that if you go out and you you beat Tennessee that first game, the fan excitement is going to be extremely high. Mm -hmm. You still have to play well in all the other games. I mean, just because they beat Tennessee doesn't mean it's going to set the stage for them to go make a run. Right. I mean, they could – they could go out and completely play awful the very next week. They could go lose to Vanderbilt. I mean, who knows? Mm-hmm. But I do think it is a tone setter if you can go out and win that game. It's going to be big for them in recruiting, build build some team confidence, and certainly get fans excited again about the season. Right. Well, Carolina could beat Tennessee and go 1-9, and and they could lose to Tennessee and go 9-1. and But I, I think yeah. one thing that has been interesting watching this team, especially the last couple of years, is they seem to, ha- they seem to be – more than most teams just across the country they just seem to be way more susceptible 
to momentum and to emotional swings within games over the course of a season. I mean, the end of last year was just, it was such a, like it was such an unbelievably lackluster finish to the season. And yeah, they were banged up, especially on offense and problems. You know, they didn't have a healthy quarterback that had played quarterback, you know, since the midway point of the season. It was just, it was so bad. But the the life on the sideline and on the teams, I mean, watching the Appalachian State game, being there in person for the Texas A&M game, it was just, it was just lifeless. So this team, it seems, or at least these teams in the past, uh, this is going to be a different team. And, and I don't know exactly what they're going to look like, but at least the last couple of years have just shown how important momentum is. And so that's why I guess I've maybe paid a little bit more attention to the exact structure of the schedule. Um, but if we say, you know, Tennessee is a toss up, they both have a long time to prepare, prepare for each other. South Carolina is going to have a little bit more juice for that game because I think, you know, most of the players on the team this year were there last year up in Knoxville. They remember getting embarrassed. I'm, I'm sure they're still smarting from that a little bit and are going to want revenge. But if you say that's a toss up and actually uh, Colin Taylor published uh, on y'all's site yesterday, the updated FPI numbers in South Carolina does have a slight uh, I guess edge in that game a fifty like two percent chance to win it according to the football power index. Um, so if we give that one to South Carolina, West to come back to your point, if Carolina is able to to go two and two in those first four games, you say they maybe. I guess in that case they would go on the road to Florida the next week and lose, which is fine because I think Florida is probably the the favorite in the East right now. Uh, I, I guess J T Daniels' health uh, he's still not been cleared from his ACL surgery. Uh, obviously Georgia's new quarterback transfer from Southern Cal has a lot to do with it. But you give them the win against Vanderbilt, Auburn at home. Always a potential for an upset there and replacing their entire offensive line this offseason, so that's a, a big question mark. But two and two there, then you go on the road to LSU, and, and I have no idea what to make of them yet. But if Carolina's two and three going into the open week, Wes, with, I mean, really four out of five winnable games in the back half, I mean, all of a sudden this sets up very, very nicely for South Carolina, and what looked like a hard schedule may end up being the best-case scenario because you're going to have positive momentum going into the winnable part of your schedule. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think we do sort of get ahead of ourselves a bit because, like you said, man, we, we don't necessarily know what all these teams are going to look like. And, hey, you know, LSU, I think when, when Chris and I did our, our live thing, we, um, you know, were talking about what's the hardest game on the schedule. And, you know, you say, hey, a trip to LSU, that's probably the hardest game on the schedule. Mo- just most any year you, you play them. Uh, you know, are, are there going to be fans in the stands? Is it the same type of deal going to LSU in the year 2020 that it would be any other year. I'm not sure. And, um, hey, guess what? LSU lost like 30 dudes from their team last year. So, um, you know, I, I think – And both coordinators, or, or passing game coordinator and defensive coordinator. Yeah, and the passing game coordinator who, let's be honest, had a ton to do with their, you know, with their emergence and, and their better play on offense. Just, I mean, completely changed what had been – decades of just sort of a, uh, I would say, a boring, muddy style of offense and, and turned it into an exciting style of offense that teams are going to be probably copying all over the country this year. So that that can't be overlooked. So it, it, it's kind of one of those things. Yeah, if you look, if you look at the schedule uh, as a whole and the 10 games that are on it and you look at the tradition of, of those 10 schools or look at the tradition of maybe six of those 10 schools, it can be very daunting. But then when you look at sort of the game by game it's like yeah that you can make a case on just about all these games even the ones that we're saying oh South Carolina should win that game you can make a strong case about you know why they should lose the game just like for for all these games we're probably gonna 
you know, nobody's going to pick South Carolina to go to LSU and win, but you can make a case for, um, you know, why, why that game could be way closer than, than anybody thinks. Mm-hmm. So I think that's – there's always, I think, more ebbs and flows within a season than we than we maybe talk about or anticipate going into the year. And, and it's always sort of, I would say, interesting to, to just watch how those different things play out. And uh, we'll see. But, but yeah, if, if you're talking about momentum, for me, it just goes back to how this game with Tennessee – like Chris said, man, this this game is one we would have sort of talked about as being a key game, whether it was game one or game eight or game ten or, or whenever, just because these two teams are going head-to-head on the recruiting trail. They recruit similar defensive guys as far as the type of player that fits their schemes. You look at the background of, of Jeremy Pruitt, the background of Will Muschamp schematically in their coaching tree, and you're talking about similar skill sets on, on defense. So, um, you know, I, I think there's a reason why these teams are going to go head-to-head a lot. So, you know, this is big. Like Chris said as well, you, you had some momentum against Tennessee, and in one half it sort of got obliterated. But you can quickly bring that back. And, and ESPN, you know, you look at the FBI, you look at Vegas, they, they don't really care about the actual outcome of the game last year. They're looking at other – details and their analytics and they're telling us hey these are two very close football teams and it's in columbia so i think you have you also have some unknown elements where tennessee isn't going to know what south carolina's offense is necessarily going to look look like so i i still the word opportunity just keeps coming to my mind i think that's a big opportunity for south carolina well and the reality is you know in in the sec in any given year and i think especially this year if you're in the middle, like, other than the very top, which right now is Alabama, I would say Alabama, Florida, Georgia, probably in that order, and the very bottom, which is Arkansas and Vanderbilt, everybody else is kind of a toss-up. So, like, you, like you're saying, Wes, I mean, you can look at the schedule right now, and I don't know what the Vegas lines are if they've released early lines. But, again, I would guess that South Carolina is favored right now in, in two or maybe three games. They're going to be favored against Vanderbilt. They will probably be favored against Missouri at home. Maybe favored against Tennessee, maybe Ole Miss on the road, but the games in which they're underdogs, you might be a double-digit underdog at Florida, you might be a double-digit underdog against Georgia, and then every other game you would expect the the line and the final score to be within kind of four to six points. I mean, the margins are so slim, and there's so much there's so much variance in that sort of middle class. So um, again, I, I try not to be too pessimistic at this point in the season and say, well, you're only going to be favored in two games because most of the times you're going to be underdogs. It's going to be Three point, three points, four points, five points, something like that. And so, uh, to your point, uh, I guess Wes, all of these, uh, all, not all these, but with the exception of Florida and Georgia, South Carolina should have a chance in all of these games. Again, who knows what LSU is going to look like? Auburn, you get at home, and who knows what they're going to look like? You lose Derek Brown, you lose your entire offensive line. Bonex was up and down last year. There's a lot of question marks. So, I don't think there's any reason to look at this and be overly pessimistic. Um, and again, it's just about kind of However, however you want to slice it. You can look at this glass half full. You can look at it glass half empty. But here is the schedule. I have one more question for you guys on this, and then we'll get to some actual on-the-field football because South Carolina is uh, doing that right now. Uh, but, Chris, I-, I threw this question out on Twitter yesterday. I don't know if you voted, and if you did, great. If not, that's fine. But I, I wanted to get your, I guess, fleshed-out opinion because I-, I wanted to know, you know, everybody's opinion, your opinion now, what an acceptable record is for South Carolina. Not what you think they will finish, but what would be an acceptable record in terms of demonstrating progress within the football program this year? Ooh, that is a really good question. You know, so I, I'm 
I will set a number. A, a lot of people want an, an actual number, and so I will do that. So I'm not giving the appearance that I'm, you know, just throwing off the question. But I mean, I do think it matters, man, what the wins are. I mean, let's say South Carolina, let's say they just had a weird season, won four games, went four and six, but they beat, you know, somehow beat Tennessee, Florida, you know, Vanderbilt, Missouri. I mean, that'd be a weird hodgepodge, you know, of wins. But, like, it's like, okay, in some ways that's progress, in some ways not. I think, so it does depend. If it's just sort of five of, quote-unquote, normal games, let's say you beat Missouri, Tennessee, Vandy, and you get a couple others in there somewhere, you know, Kentucky and another one, like five wins. I mean, a five-and-five season is a good record for this team. I think below that, even if you win four, you can make some arguments. I know they say, well, they won four games last year. Yeah, well, they also played Clemson, and they, you know, they played, you know, a couple extra games last year. You're you're removing two games this year, you know. So I think you could make an argument that it could even be like four, and, and you might illustrate some level of progress, especially depending on if you're sort of stealing the game. Mm-hmm. Um, Last year they beat Georgia and won four games, so that wasn't really progress. It was a really big, it was a nice win. Mm-hmm. It was fun for everybody while it lasted, and then the rest of the season happened. So, but I, I think my so my general answer would be five. But I think, you know, you, you got to have some nuance in football, and not just everything's black and white. You got to win this number of games, or it's a failure. Mm-hmm. But you know, I, I think five wins is a is a good is a great no. But that's a perfectly acceptable and arguably even good record, you know, under these circumstances. I know people may not like that. They no, but, want but, more. And, yeah. you know. But, but that's the reality. Again, when you, and again, this isn't yeah. necessarily realistic. This is acceptable. But you're right in terms of, you know, what are those wins? How close are the losses? What do the wins look like? All those things are going to, to matter a lot. So this is, a, you know, a very overly simplistic question. But, you know, Carolina fans would probably feel very differently about the 5-5 five and five season that you laid out where they beat Vanderbilt, Tennessee, Kentucky, Missouri, and Ole Miss, which is good because you're beating the teams you're supposed to beat. But you know this this would never happen. But if South Carolina goes five and five and they beat Florida, Auburn, LSU, Texas A and M, and Georgia, and lose all the other games, that's going to leave Carolina fans feeling uh, very confused and, and maybe mm-hmm. not all that good. If you're losing to Vanderbilt and Kentucky, just thinking about what could have been. Uh, Wes, same question: What is an acceptable record for South Carolina this year? Yeah, and I think the my, my question has been what you know what are the equivalencies here like. What what do we think a five and five record in a ten game SEC schedule is the equivalent of in a regular year? You know, I mean that's basically seven yeah. and five because you you say Auburn's Clemson and that's probably a loss, and then you give yourself two wins for uh, Charleston Southern and Spring Valley, so that's probably like a seven and five year, right? Yeah, I would say five and five. I kept going back and forth between a seven and five year and an eight and four year, just because, I mean, you know, if you're saying, okay, in a normal year, this five and five this year equal four and four in, you know, in, in any other given SEC year. And then, you know, you win, like you said, you win three at uh, nine SEC games, then yeah, there you are seven and five. So um, now the fact that you sort of account for the fact that you don't have any gimmies that you have to be, on alert every single week that every game is going to be tough and that the two additional games are both in conference as well. I, I don't know. I, but I, I sort of – I say it falls somewhere in between the seven and five and eight and four years. So if you're going off that, 
I, I say five and five. I, I think I think four and six probably if you're looking at the schedule and looking at just the perception of where the program is right now, that's probably actually more realistic. But it's just something about being under five hundred that is going to leave a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. And I, I think being five and five, I. I don't see how anybody can sort of look at five and five and say that that's not a good year when you look at all the uh, sort of variables that are involved this year. You know, any other time you're talking about 500. To me, five and five this year doesn't look anything like, you know, six and six, uh, you know, a 500 record any other year. So that that's sort of where I, where I set it at because even if you're five and five, that's going to mean you you've beaten some teams that that you were underdogs to, I think, and that you have something to build off of. I think it shows that you have a foundation, that everything hasn't just fallen apart on you. And uh, strangely enough, I I think you can actually build off of Mm 5-5. and I I think that's right. That was, uh, by the way, the consensus. 38% of people that voted on the Twitter poll yesterday said 5-5. 27% said 6-4. and So I was happy to see that the majority of people had high expectations for South Carolina this year, even though the schedule was a little bit tougher. Only 13% of people said that 3-7 and would have been acceptable in there. The justification there is that you just throw this year out because it's kind of weird, which I don't necessarily think is the correct answer. Um, but anyway, I appreciate you guys weighing in on that. Um, it's all going to matter. I mean, it's all going to be contingent on, I think, what South Carolina does in, in the next uh, 24 practices because they've already had one. They have 40 days to get them in, which is a little bit interesting, and that started yesterday. Again, we're recording this Wednesday morning. South Carolina's first practice was Tuesday morning. Uh, before we get into the specifics of uh, the, the little bits that we got from practice yesterday and just some kind of projections of what this fall camp will look like, um, do either one of you have a, a schedule? Do you know if they have a schedule? Because, again, they have a lot more time to fit these practices in. Uh, Will Muschamp said they're not going to practice, well, like not three days in a row or not four days in a row because they're going to have the ability to, to, give them, to give the guys some rest. So, uh, Chris, I don't know if you know the schedule, but just how much, in your opinion, and based on the conversations that you've had, is this going to make an impact? How much of a difference is it going to make to have the extra, essentially, 10 days of rest this preseason? Yeah, I mean, I think it'll, um, it, it can certainly help them. I mean, obviously, everybody, this is a different style of thing for everyone. And so, Will Muschamp sort of laid out during his media availability this week how they'd sort of come up with one plan, right, based on, hey, we, maybe we think that some guys – you know, they at least wanted to plan for the possibility of some guys actually being able to come in for visits during the year. And so they were thinking about the practice schedule for that, you know, wanting to be able to host recruits for a certain time. Obviously, we know there's going to be a dead period for quite some time and, and potentially even longer. So they changed back, you know, to another to uh, to another type of style. So, I mean, I don't know, you know, to be honest, how different it's going to be for the guys just in terms of, I don't know, wear and tear, if it's going to make any significant difference. Certainly, when you're talking about football, any level of time off is going to help you. But they haven't, you know, they just sort of started one aspect again in terms of getting back on the field for the camp style stuff. And it's going to be different. So I think just having that break is potentially going to help, just like it'll help to have a bye sort of in the middle of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, time will tell, I think. I think everybody. You know, the good news is everybody's sort of in the same boat with that. You can obviously, you've got some flexibility with how you can structure your schedule within the guidelines. You just sort of have to make it the best that you can. Um, They are going to have, I think from what Muschamp said, that the Sunday practices just as a general note. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I I don't really know that I have a great 
answer, you know, in terms of a projection of what it may or may not do. Well, Wes, one of the things that I thought was interesting to hear Will Muschamp uh, talk about it, and, and, and you can you know speak to that as well, but just uh, I guess to Chris's point, one thing that Will Muschamp said that I wonder if it will kind of carry over into the preseason as well is how much um, further along, especially some of the young players are mentally because they've had sort of the extra time for meetings, the OTA-style workouts for what ended up being, what, like five or six weeks um, since they pushed back the, the start of camp. So they had a little bit more time to kind of get the mental reps, the Butch Jones leadership reps. So I I imagine that especially for a team like Carolina that's going to need some young players to come in and step up at running back at wide receiver, especially while you're breaking in a new offensive coordinator, that that extra time will serve Carolina well. Yeah, I think it will, man. And, um, I mean, you you were asking about the schedule, right? I mean, so right now, yesterday – we're recording on Wednesday. Um, they're actually practicing. They should be finishing up practice right now. So it was helmets only uh, the first two days. Uh, Thursday uh, will just be lift and film. Friday, they're back on the practice field. So Friday, Saturday, they practice, but they're in shells. Then take Sunday off. Um, so Monday, August 24th, so that'll be next Monday, they're in pads for the first time. So they'll practice Monday and Tuesday, but then Wednesday will be just a lift and film day. Then practice seven, practice eight will be Thursday and Friday. And then um, Saturday, August 29th, I think you're probably looking at maybe a, a scrimmage-type day that day because Muschamp's going to talk after. And then you give them Sunday off, lift and film on Monday. So basically they, they get two days off after that scrimmage. Then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, three practices in a row. Then you're back to stretch and film. So so really they've, they've built in – off days in here and I I think that's huge and I think you have to do that because we've all seen you know a big part of the move I I think that they made it at you know your your strength and conditioning coach was I would say because of the the injuries and the fact that they need to find a way to cut back on the number of injuries they've had the last two years so I, I think the guys being able to spread out these practices a bit and not you know it used to sort of be there was a mindset around college football, especially let's, let's go back to the days of two-a-days, where camp camp was like survival. You know, it's like you're going to get your you-know-what beat every day, twice, and you just got to survive to the end of camp. Well, we've seen football gradually, especially at the NFL level, go more and more towards practice being – how much can I teach the guys while also letting them not get injured in practice? You know, and I, I think we've seen that gradually move towards that. And you're trying to you're trying to do everything you can to efficiently be a physical football team, but without beating each other up in practice. So I think this way of doing things, hopefully the staff, you know, is, is going to have some restraint as far as how they do this, and it it looks from the schedule like like they will. We have 25 practices in 40 days. I think that sets up very, very well. And, and the key for South Carolina, as we've talked about many, many times, you got to try to get through a season healthy, mm-hmm. and you've got to continue to build some depth. I think in, in some ways, if you're a South Carolina fan, you should be really happy about what you heard from Muschamp on Monday when he said, hey, I told every single player, offense, defense, special teams, I don't want anybody to have a red shirt mindset. It's all hands on deck. Everybody's got to be ready to play because I think the other side of that is that when South Carolina has had injuries, they haven't really had the depth 
in order to sustain those injuries and keep playing. Well, one way to build depth is to throw the young kids into the fire and let them make their mistakes before you actually need them on the field. Mm-hmm. So I think um, I think between the added practice time, the chance to get guys ready, and the mindset going into this year, maybe you can build a little bit more depth for 2020 than, than South Carolina has had the last couple of years when they've just been decimated with injuries. But I think we can all agree that you know the, the issues with the team, especially last year, sort of went beyond the talent. The, the, the team was way more talented than 4-8, and eight, which is why I think the season was so troubling. But going into this season, it's like a, the, the two things that you can actually affect, because they do have a lot of talent on this team, and they just had you know two five-star recruits, a five-star defensive end and a five-star running back coming in. So you, you can't change that. You don't really need to change that for South Carolina to get to the 5-5, five and 6-4 five, and four that we all feel like is probably where they need to be. But if you had to say, here are two things that South Carolina has to change for this season is, you know, if they could only have more time and make sure that the offensive install is, you know, goes as smoothly as possible and doesn't hold them up and they're not, you know, going through the growing pains early in the season and that they can stay healthy. And Chris, it feels like this extra time accomplishes both of those things. It's two birds with one stone, uh, two bird, yeah, two birds with one stone. You have more time to install. You have more meeting time. You've had meeting time. You've had the OTAs. You've had the walkthroughs. Uh, the season's obviously starting later, so that's just more time for the young guys to get acclimated to college life, to being on campus, to being in a facility, and uh, just to getting used to Mike Bobo. And like Wes was saying, the other part of it is just not having the same kind of wear and tear. And look, in, in some ways I worry that camp being longer will be harder for them just sort of psychologically because by the time they get to the end of August, it seems like they're tired of hitting each other anyway and want to go hit somebody else. But I imagine having the time off will maybe – or I guess the breaks in between more than the time off, but the breaks in between will maybe allow them mm-hmm. to go a little bit harder in practice anyway and not have to risk injury as much. Yeah, and, and I think just wear and tear. I mean, like Wes was talking about, I mean, it, it, the the thinking has changed behind it, you know, and and some people even, you know, in, in the more recent era of college football, even when, when there was a big move away from the two-a-days, beat you the heck up type of stuff, you know, you even look at like a Steve Spurrier practice versus a Will Muschamp practice, and there's big difference in those, you know, just in terms of the, the pace and maybe how much hitting is done. And, and all one you can actually look at and one you can't. Yeah, well, that, that was big difference, too. And that's been another change. I mean, across college football, things are more closed up in terms of practice. And that's just, you know, would, would Spurrier still do it his way? Probably so, if, if that was my guess. But I think you know, those breaks are, are always key. I mean, you need time to heal after games. I mean, you talk to any former college football player or you know, current one, they, they all talk about that practice and how beat up your body gets. And even with these elite athletes, you know, they need those breaks. And so this is something very different for them. You know, how, how big of a difference will it make for their team health? You know, again, like I said earlier, I think it remains to be seen, but perhaps it's something that can help them. There's, there's no doubt, guys, that for whatever reason you want to chalk it up to, the the one thing that you can't argue is that this team's had um, for a couple of the years of the tenure an inordinate amount of injuries, and we can trace it back to a bunch of different things. But the, the fact of it is there, and I'm I'm a firm believer that you know would South Carolina have you know been a juggernaut any of those years if they were totally healthy? No, I'm not making that argument. But you can't convince me that they wouldn't have had a better shot, maybe even won, you know, a couple more games maybe combine those couple seasons where they were just absolutely decimated. Um, it happened last year, it happened the year before. And so 
uh, if they can stay healthy and if this is something, whether it's the, the practice breaks, whether it's the training that Paul Jackson does, whatever it may be, anything that can help or, or just blind luck, you know, because that's part of it too. Any combination of factors that can help this team be healthy, more healthy, is going to give them a better shot. And that's any year, but I, I think it's a huge storyline this year. And so it is intriguing to see, you know, whether or not um, it's something that can end up helping them. As we look at sort of how practice plays out, what sort of the battles are going to be, and uh, Wes, as you mentioned, Will Muschamp said that it is, it's open season for pretty much every position. Now we know that some guys are, despite that, going to be pretty firmly entrenched. I don't think we have to worry about Sidarius Hutcherson necessarily losing his starting job or J.C. Horn or anyone like that, but there are a lot of intriguing position battles uh, for center, for wide receiver. Uh, I, I guess, I mean, I guess really running back is wide open, and that's kind of where I wanted to go with this next because three areas that Will Muschamp specifically pointed out in his press conference the other day that maybe concern is not the right word, and I can't remember the exact word that he used, but basically three position groups that he was looking at that he needed to see improvement from this preseason were wide receiver, which I expected him to say, but I was a little bit surprised to hear him say running back and defensive line because I felt like those, and, and maybe uh, maybe this is just too speculative, but I thought those were going to be you know kind of two given areas of strength for South Carolina. So as when you hear him say that, does that mean does does that sound to you like the defensive line and running backs are maybe a little farther off than Carolina fans would hope, or he's just emphasizing them because they're going to be so important for Carolina this year? Yeah, let's um, let's re-implement our what we used to do, our buy or sell, and um, hey, on those three on those three on those three um, comments, I'm going to buy. Um, that he's actually concerned on wide receiver. I'm going to sell that he's actually concerned on running back. And I would say hold on the defensive line somewhere in the middle. I think, you know, I think wide receiver has been the biggest concern from the very beginning. I think running back is more about they're all unproven in games, like literally that entire running back core is unproven. So I think it's just a matter of not not crowning guys before they've played, you know. I, I think there's an element there of you, you want to, from a team-building standpoint and from a roster-building standpoint and, a you know, competition-wise, you, you really you don't want to come out and say, well, Marshawn Lloyd's our guy and completely slow the competition at that position when he's never played a snap of college football in his life. So I, I think there is an element of that at play here. You know, if that makes any sense. And, you know, I, I think if you're South Carolina right now, you actually probably feel pretty good there on, uh, you know, in the running back. Now, defensive line, I, I don't know if it's as big a concern as receiver, but, you know, hey, you, you lose Javon Kinlaw, you lose DJ Wanham. Those are two of your better players. And I, I think that's more about, hey, we need some of these these guys to step up in the absence is, is any one person going to provide what Javon Kinlaw did to South Carolina I would say absolutely not but um, can those guys as a whole as a team as a group be pretty darn good on the defensive front I, I think so but I, I think for that to happen they need someone like Zach Pickens to take another step Rick Sanders to take another step and that's not me saying that they haven't I'm just talking about take another step from what they did last year, you know, to this year. You look at Sandage year three, he's played partially in, in both of his first two years on campus. Obviously, Pickens was a five-star guy that everybody 
had high expectations for and still does. So, yeah, there, there's talent on the defensive front, and there's depth on the defensive front. There's real competition there. I, I think it's just a matter – you always want the cream to rise to the top. If you, if you have six guys, sometimes you, you really you want to have two guys, you know, and then two guys and then two guys. And what I mean by that is you want to know for sure that two guys have just risen to the top and said, hey, I'm we're the, we're the starters. And then, you know, you feel good but not quite as good about the next two because – the play has elevated with your starters. I think that's that's a good way to put it. That's a good way to, I think, kind of make some sense out of what he said because I, I heard that and I just immediately was like, well, wait a second. And I'll toss this back to you, Chris, because I I, I am probably guilty of, of taking South Carolina's, I guess, like level of defensive competency for granted a little bit. I'm just kind of assuming that the defense will be about as good as they were last year. And maybe that's not fair. I knew that South Carolina was going to miss Javon Kinlaw because you know it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. But I just, I, I, it seemed like with the pieces they had in place, they would be able to sort of make up for it at least in terms of productivity. Now you won't necessarily have the same impact plays. You know, the pick six against Georgia was, I mean, unbelievable play, great hands by Israel Mukwamu. But that play starts with Javon Kinlaw, absolutely just dominating. I think he beat a double team, split a double team to get in Fromm's face and and force that pass. Maybe you lose a little bit of that, and and that's the difference. I mean, frankly, that's the difference in the Georgia game, so maybe that's the difference in in, in a win and a loss and maybe a couple other ones here and there because he was so dominant. And not to say that someone can't emerge and and be that same type of impact player, but Carolina feels really deep on the defensive line, and you're bringing in a guy in Jordan Birch that he's not going to play 60 snaps a game, but he's five stars for a reason, and he's going to help you, and he's probably going to play you know, 10, 15, maybe 20 snaps you have a lot of interesting guys there. So have I overrated, you know, how important it is to have the depth on the defensive line, sort of like Wes is saying, you know, maybe it's better to have, like, two guys that you're sure about than six guys that, like, you know, could be good but aren't necessarily proven yet? Or, or do you do you expect the defensive line to be similarly productive to last year? I think it can be similarly productive because I think a couple guys, um, certainly there are going to be some guys that I would project to be better. I mean, I think J.J. Inabari, for example, as a junior, is, is going to be – you know, even better than he was. And certainly I think he's, he's progressed nicely as a player. You know, he really started to flash last season. Um, Aaron Sterling's going to be a senior. He's been a productive ball player. You know, I think Sandage and Pickens, you would certainly think will be better. You've got freshmen like Jordan Birch who can help. You got Jabari Ellis, got Devontae Davis, you know, well, Muschamp talked up, talked up Jabari Ellis. Probably think it was the first guy out of his mouth when talking about the interior guys. You got Kier Thomas, who's very experienced. So, um, I don't think I would put it in the same category as sort of like you hear the expression with quarterbacks. If you, you know, if you've got two or three, you don't have one, you know, type of thing. I don't think it's quite the same because, of course, defensive line, you need a bunch of guys. We saw, you know, in Will Muschamp's first year, for example, the, or even the next year, they simply just didn't have the depth. And then they had some injuries. And then, you know, you're relying on freshmen who are playing way too much. They're not in that situation. I think they're more of in the situation of, trying to get some guys to take another step forward. The good news is they've got talent. It's not like you're just trying to, you know, squeeze production out of out of a group that just doesn't have the potential, right? They've got the potential. Some of them have shown it. You're not going to have a dominant force like Javon Kinlaw. Uh, Javon Kinlaw doesn't even come around at, at Georgia or Alabama or places like that. I mean, he's just – he's that good. He would have been a star on any of those teams as well, and they'd be sitting here in the same situation going – goodness, how are we going to replace Javon Kinlaw? 
So, you know, you're not going to have a guy that is that individually dominant. I still think there are some questions, but I look at it differently than receiver. You know, receiver, I do look at it and go, it may be better. You know, I think they've recruited a little bit better than what's shown, but you don't sit there and say, man, they're just, they've got all this talent and they just need some guys to step forward. That, that's a little bit more of a concern at receiver than defensive line, if that makes sense. No, yeah, I, I think that's I think that's right too. And I, let me just ask you guys like this now, since we're talking about it, and we've already done defensive line, and so that can uh, already be your answer. I, I didn't realize how intrigued I was by the defensive line this preseason until I heard Will Muschamp say that, and then we started talking about it today. But other than that, well, I guess I just said you can say it if you want. But what other position group are you guys are, are you West looking at uh, most? We, we talked about wide receiver and how much they need to develop, but in terms of what we're going to be able to learn over the course of the next 25 practices, which, which I guess position battle or position group are you most intrigued to watch? Well, yeah, I, I'll, I think, um, go ahead, Wes. I'm sorry. Uh, sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, um, you know, re- receiver would have been mine. I, I would say for all the obvious reasons we talked about, but I'll I'll give you one maybe other than those two, you know, I think it goes back to quarterback. And, you know, I I think there's still a, I would say, mindset within the fan base, uh, or at least a portion of the fan base, that maybe it hasn't clicked yet that this is an actual real open competition, that that is not coach speak. That's not um, something where, oh, we're going to say it's a competition and then Ryan Holinsky is automatically going to be the starter. Um, you know, that, that's that's not the case here. This is an open competition. I think Colin Hill has just as good of a shot of winning that job as, as Ryan Helensky, if not more. And I think that's a, a key sort of position for us to keep an eye on moving forward that probably has, because of the way it's played out, maybe hasn't gotten the as much talk as a quarterback competition usually does. Normally, if you have an open quarterback competition, that is – that's conversation number one when it comes to preseason football. For whatever reason, that hasn't happened here, but to me, that's the most intriguing battle, uh, you know, among the uh, the team right now. That, but that I just that can't be good though, right? For Carolina, I mean, Ryan Holinsky should why, be the. Why, why starter, does right? everybody say that? Why, why does everybody? Well, because if you have someone that? that's I'm, been starting for a year, you would like to think that's better than somebody that's coming in without having started at all. Yeah, but if the person, well, for one, that person has started, and if that person beats out the guy who's already started, you know, what? why is that a bad thing if he beats him out? I mean, I, I guess that's true, and there's always the, the two ways to look at that. It's like, well, well this guy beat him out. I, I just feel like normally when you have an incumbent, and I mean, you're right, he has been starting. He hasn't been starting uh, for South Carolina, and he doesn't have the same familiarity with the players, maybe has a little more familiarity with the system, so maybe it it balances out there, but I, I don't know. I just I feel like you normally want your incumbent. And look, I mean, we we all saw, we all watched Ryan Helensky last year. He he was up and down, but he really showed flashes. And when he was healthy, he looked like a like a very competent, you know, quarterback. Maybe he's not going to set any SEC passing records, but if Carolina's going to lean more heavily on the running game, he seemed more than capable of of doing what he needed to do. Whether it's in the the short passing game, which we saw against Alabama. In the first half of that Georgia game, Ryan Helensky played some really good football. The touchdown pass he threw to Brian Edwards off play action was beautiful. And it's like, well, there, you know, there, there's a, a lot more opportunity for that if you're going to be leaning more heavily on the run. So I, I think it just feels like – it feels like t- to me – and again, this isn't based on anything because I guess I haven't seen Colin Hill play in person. But it feels to me like the, the ceiling of this team is higher with Ryan Helensky at quarterback than at Colin Hill. I'll, I'll let you go, man. But I'll, I'll just say real quick, I, I think – 
I think that's just a perception in, in your head. I don't, I don't know necessarily that there's an exact reason to think that that is the case. Uh, but, yeah, continue, Chris. Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say, I mean, look, is there upside with Linsky? Yeah. And did he play well when healthy a lot of the time? Yes. Um, that's been the case with Colin Hill, too, right? I mean, Colin Hill, now, he was playing in the Mountain West. I fully realize this. But their offenses at Colorado State were, were not the problem for the most part. They, those guys put up some numbers. And when he was healthy, he played pretty well. I mean, this guy's had three knee, knee injuries, so obviously that's sort of a question, too, that maybe uh, is getting looked a little bit, is can he stay healthy for a prolonged period of time? He is not so far. And hopefully for his sake and for South Carolina's sake, if he's you know the guy, he can do that. If not, then you've got another guy out there in Holinsky, and you've got – you know, Jay Yurick and you've got Luke Doty. Uh, all those guys are going to need to be ready because we saw last year it can easily fall down to your number three guy uh, at any time. Certainly your number two guy, it's, it's sort of easy to get there. And so, you know, I, I think there are situations in that in, in which it's not a horrible thing to have a question, even with a guy that's coming back. This is not the same situation at all. Okay, so I don't want people to, to say that Chris Clark said it was. But, you know, you think back to – Clemson during Trevor Lawrence's freshman year. I'm not saying that Colin Hill or Ryan Holinsky are on the level of Trevor Lawrence, anything like that. But they had an incumbent in Kelly Bryant. They started Kelly Bryant. They still played well with Kelly Bryant. But eventually they made the move to Trevor Lawrence, and he showed that he was the best guy, right? They would have been a really good team with either guy. Trevor Lawrence sort of put them on the next level, and he made them better. I I think that showed in the final results. So it's not the same. But I think you can look at it and say, okay, you know, whoever ends up being the number two guy, it's not that he can't play dead in the Western. It's just that one guy was a little bit better. One guy makes them a little bit better. And that's a good problem to have. What you don't want to get to is a situation where you just, you don't have any confidence in your backup or you don't feel like you have one guy. I think the problem when you get into sort of the whole, you know, we don't have a guy is, are you are you not confident in either of them? <laughs> then you've got more of a problem, right? Um, if you've just got a good competition and it's a close competition between two guys that you would feel pretty good about, then I think it's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, you would like one guy to separate, and you'd like whoever separates to be playing really, really well. Wes, how fluid do you expect the quarterback job to be this year? Do you, do you think it's likely that Carolina sees a different starting quarterback week one and week six, barring injury? I, I think that just depends entirely on how whoever is the quarterback, uh, you know, plays. I, you know, honestly, I, I don't to, – to answer your question a different way, if the quarterback position um, does not play well, whoever that is, then, yeah, I think it would be very fluid. I, I don't think it's going to be one thing where you lock into the guy that you started with if they're not playing well. But – you know, if that position is playing well, then then yeah, I think I think ideally, ideally you want somebody to to, to win the job and then to be mm-hmm. to be the guy to be the person. And then there's just been a, a reluctance, basically, since Will Muschamp got here to to change quarterbacks. And I didn't know if if you foresaw a situation where maybe Colin Hill, by virtue of being a little bit older and a little more familiar with Mike Bobo's offense, started the season. But say by Vanderbilt or Auburn, it was like, all right, we feel like Ryan's caught up with the offense. He knows the playbook better now, and we think he's, you know, more the guy. Uh, again, I, that that hasn't necessarily been his mo, so I wouldn't expect that. But it, we all, we also haven't had really 
we haven't seen from Carolina a, a quarterback battle that's been as open as this one is in the last couple of years. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that that's true, and I, I think you know there, there was just and, and people obviously can disagree, but I, I just think there was a lot of confidence in, in Jake Bentley um, among the staff and, and some confidence in Jake Bentley being the best quarterback on the team. That there being you know some distance there, you know, if, as far as how things played out before. We, um, you know, we, we say that the team did not. And that's that's a common thought, a common comment. I think. Well, this staff hasn't been willing to make a change at quarterback. Well, let's go back to the first year. The the staff actually juggled back and forth between Perry Orth, Brandon McElwain to start the year. Um, literally, you know, you didn't know which guy was going to start from game to game, and then went to a third quarterback in in Jake Bentley. So the staff actually went. It has felt like it was closer. It's felt like the best guy wasn't necessarily playing or they weren't getting good play from that position. They have made changes. It's just I think the last couple of years we've allowed ourselves to think that because, you know, Jake Bentley wasn't taken out of the game, but I think the staff felt firmly he was the best quarterback on the team. So I think, yeah, if things are a little bit um, closer this year, which I do think it'll be pretty close, then, then yeah, I think you maybe have a – a little bit stronger uh, or a little bit quicker hook. And also, hey, I think the quarterback coach, the offensive coordinator, which, again, you have a different one in charge now, I think that will play in as well. You know, what, what is Mike Bobo's take on that? Some some coaches lean towards – and this is something I don't have an answer yet. Some coaches lean heavily towards this is my quarterback. I want to instill confidence. I want to stick with them and believe in that power of saying, hey, man, you're the guy, go play without worrying about, you know, sometimes when you're worried about making that mistake, that's why you make a mistake because you're looking behind you, oh, they're going to yank me the second I make a mistake. Well, other coaches, as we've seen, Steve Spurrier says the quarterback's just like the running back. If the running back fumbles, I'm getting him out of the game. If the quarterback turns the ball over, I'm getting him out of the game. So, that's one thing we don't, I guess, know yet with Mike Bobo. Ultimately, you think it's a Will Muschamp decision, but obviously the quarterback coach, the offensive coordinator, is going to have a huge, um, you know, is going to be a huge factor in those decisions. Right. Uh, all right, Chris, uh, we got to get to a couple of recruiting things and, and a few notes from South Carolina's first practice uh, yesterday, Tuesday morning. Uh, but real quick, give me the position group. Again, we touched on wide receiver, defensive line, quarterback, another one that you're keeping an eye on as we start preseason camp. Let's just let's just name every position going to end right. up being. No, I mean mine would have been quarterback because it, you know it's the most important position on the team, and you know. But we we laid that out pretty well. It's also most intriguing in terms of fans and even media. We paid most attention to the quarterback. Yeah. Well, if you're quarterback, you could say quarterback, and and yeah. we're we're going to have yeah. a, you know more time in the next uh, six weeks or so to break down uh all, you know all the position battles and things like that, especially as well, we get more. So if don't well, don't force it if you don't want to. But if you got another one, well, no, I mean there, there's certainly others. I mean for me. I look at safety. I mean, that's been that's been a, a glaring issue area, right? It's one that they've for, and there's complex reasons behind it, but you know, it just hasn't been solved. And so, there's a lot of questions there. Everything from when we Kwame play safety, they feel like that's the move they need to make. To can Jalen Dick, Dickerson stay healthy? Can do they get newcomer help there? Just a lot of questions at safety, and I think that's an area where. You, know, you feel pretty good about defensive line. You feel pretty good about linebacker. You feel pretty good about corner. But do you feel good about safety? I don't know if you could say that. I mean, Jamie Robinson, R.J. Roderick, 
they're guys that have a chance to take a step forward. I, I think Jamie's going to be really, really good this year. But there's still some questions there to where if they could shore up and feel better about that position, it really changes, I think, the outlook of the defense. So that's one I'm going to be really intrigued by, you know, this, this uh, camp as well. Yeah, when you talk about problem areas, like other, like short of injuries, I mean, really just injuries and like lack of productivity from the wide receiver position, which especially yeah. last year you can chalk up to injury at the quarterback position. I, I feel like safety has been the biggest one, so that's a, a good one. And like I said, we'll have plenty more time over the next couple of weeks as we get a little bit closer to kickoff to break down some of these position battles a little bit more in depth, but just wanted to get a, a quick preview from Wes and Chris. Um, and again, South Carolina's first practice was yesterday. Justin, Justin Helmets uh, did the same thing this morning. Obviously, we can't be there. Will Muschamp doesn't show a lot of his uh, practices anyway. Y'all normally get to watch the first couple periods of practice. Um, but what have y'all been able to uh, dig up and discern? I'll start with you, Wes, uh, from South Carolina's first uh, practice. And I don't know if you've heard anything from uh, from this morning yet. Yeah, no, nothing from this morning. Uh, I'll be honest, some of what I've heard is more of a carryover from, from OTAs as well. But I, uh, you know, I mentioned this on our live stream. By the way, follow us on YouTube. Um, Game got central on there as well. You know, I think we always sort of start to hear a little bit of buzz from, from certain freshmen every year that have started to sort of stand out. And a lot of times you kind of take what you can glean from behind the scenes and add it with what people are saying publicly. And I, I think officially Rico Powers is, is one to watch on offense this year as a freshman. You saw Ryan Holinsky mention him as someone, the first name out of his mouth is someone who has stood out to him. Will Muschamp has mentioned Rico Powers as one of the receivers he feels good about, uh, considering everything we talked about earlier with wide receiver. You know, I, I think that's a good sign for, for the Gamecocks as someone who maybe can step in there and, and help them at that position. And, you know, I, we, we had talked about this on the site, and somebody's response to me was um, was basically, no, I'm, I'm not getting fired up. We get fired up every year, um, and then we get disappointed on the field. And my response was, look, when we're talking about individual players right now we're not saying hey this guy's going to lead South Carolina to an eight and two season we're not you know (laughs) this is more within the within the constructs of the season of you know South Carolina's roster part of our job is to tell you who's ready who we think is going to contribute and who is not ready and you know that's something that has already started to shake itself out so when we say hey, watch out for Rico Powers. We're not saying Rico Powers is going to be SEC freshman of the year. Hmm. We're saying Rico Powers is probably going to be in the rotation at wide receiver, which for a true freshman is a noteworthy thing. So, you know, for me, we haven't learned a whole lot yet, but that that was probably one of the biggest, um, at least little details that maybe not surprising, but is at least noteworthy. Chris, what stood out to you from the first couple mornings of helmet practice? So, so Wes, on record that Rico Powers is a first-round pick. Everybody write yep. that down. <laughs> I've got it. If it doesn't happen, then we'll all make fun of him. Um, you know, again, limited time for us to learn since the pads came on. Like, I'll echo Wes in that a lot of what we heard is sort of going to be carryover from the OTA period because there just hasn't been enough time to sort of ascertain, okay, you know, what's happened the first – we've had yesterday, we've had today in the midst of recording this where we haven't been able to learn anything. But, um, you know, I, I do – you know, I do think Luke Doty – you know, a lot, of, a lot of the stuff that we've heard is centered around offensive playmakers to back up because that's something that people are sort of hyper-aware of, you know, who can help on offense. 
And certainly Luke Doty started to make his, his move a while back. You know, once he started getting some receiver reps, and as Wes has said, he still spent time with quarterback as well. But, you know, him to carry on Joyner, you know, is, in terms of offensive playmakers, Rico Powers, like Wes said, uh, Marshawn Lloyd at running back. You know, th- these are guys that are either new faces in those, and three of those four that I mentioned are completely new faces, um, whether it's from this spring or just this summer, you know, and guys that are going to be really needed, um, you know, and so. I think those are the, the main things that stick out so far. A lot of it, um, you know, I think is going to be sort of a learning process for us as we go through preseason and get into into a little bit more of the meat of the practice schedule. We'll probably start hearing more stuff and be able to flesh out some of these things, you know, the quarterback battle, the safety battle, you know, backups, all these different types of things. Mm-hmm. But I think it's been still a little bit early for some of that stuff. Yeah, and again, they're still just in helmets, so not dramatically different, I guess, from what they were doing in OTAs, although yeah. they are allowed to have a football. They are allowed to do, I guess, a little bit more. Again, I'm, I'm still not even totally clear on what all the restrictions were in terms of what they couldn't do in OTAs. But by the time we talk next week, we'll have a clearer picture. South Carolina will have had at least a couple practices in shells, and we'll have a few more nuggets that have trickled out of practice. Um, so we'll keep you posted on that, and GamecockCentral.com will have all of that uh, in the meantime before we get a chance to flesh it out a little bit more right here on another Carolina podcast. Uh, and with that, it wouldn't be another Carolina podcast if we didn't talk a little recruiting. Uh, West five-star quarterback prospect Gunnar Stockton, who's uh, from not too far away, Raven County, Georgia, where a friend of mine is from. Uh, that's the only reason I've ever even heard of Raven County and why I mentioned it. Uh, but he has narrowed his list down to two schools. It's South Carolina and it's Georgia. And a lot of experts still seem to be leaning South Carolina. Uh, is there any reason to believe uh, that Stockton – I mean, I guess it's all still up in the air, so I, w- I won't make it sound that dramatic, but do you still feel like South Carolina is a solid prediction for Stockton? Yeah, you know, I think we've uh, mentioned South Carolina is in pretty good shape here, uh, continue to feel that way. Um, you know, just for clarity, he's actually still a high four-star on Rivals.com, the uh, number two quarterback in the country as uh, South Car- as uh, Rivals came out with the top 250 yesterday, and you know, I, I think the the big question here, obviously, we knew Gunner, Gunner Stockton a couple of, I mean, when was that? That was a few weeks ago, three or four weeks ago. I know that, that was when Chris was on vacation. How long ago was that, Chris? Um, that uh, he named like his years top two. Ago. <laughs> he named his top two, or really, in this case, a final two, and um, South Carolina and Georgia. So it's obviously close between those schools, but. You know, I, I look, South Carolina is, has, I think, I mean, I I mean, I mean, think I put in, I'm pulling it up now. I put in my prediction in January for the Gamecocks. So, I, I still think they're in, in good shape. He's the number 28 overall prospect in the class of 2022, according to Rivals, the number two quarterback, like I said. He's right there beating on the door for five-star status. <clears throat> I guess he's already a five-star on some other services. And I think the big question has just been when is he going to make this decision? He does not enjoy the recruiting process as far as <laughs> the amount of time and effort you have to actually get on the phone. He's more – this kid is about football. You know, he, he wants to work on football. He wants to go fishing. He doesn't want to talk to coaches all day. And he dang sure doesn't want to talk to us all day. So I think it makes sense for someone like Gunnar Stockton to go ahead and break it down to two schools, try and – you know, he told some some guys to give some perspective. Some guys will announce a top five, and it's like, oh, these are my top five schools, but I'm still open. 
these are my top three, but I'm still open. Gunnar Stockton, this was not a top two. This was a final two, as in Gunnar Stockton called every single other school that has offered him and said, hey, guys, thanks, but no thanks. I'm not interested anymore. I'm down to these two schools. So I think that says something. I think that means he's mentally trying to close in on a decision. You know, we'll see if he's ready to make one soon or not. I think it's sort of been one of those things for a while. Chris, don't you get the feeling it's just kind of whenever whenever he feels comfortable, whenever he's ready, um, that, that's when he'll do it. I don't think there's any specific sort of timeline here, but that certainly means that it could be, you know, it could be any day. Yeah, it's, it's sort of whenever it feels right, and I don't I don't even know for sure that there's, you know, but well, what, what's going to be what's going to put it over the top? Is it hey, if Georgia wins the game or South Carolina wins the game? No, I don't think that's it. It's just sort of comfort level. Whenever he feels like it, we don't even know. I mean, is he even going to go take any more visits? I, I, sort of doubtful at this point because we don't even know if there'll be visits allowed this calendar year. So, you know, if he wants to push it out pretty far, then maybe, <laughs> you know, but. I could see him committing sometime this season, see him committing before his season. We just really don't know yet. And so it's still sort of up in the air. I think the good thing is in terms of tracking it, like you said, Wes, we, we know that he's down to those two schools. He's not going to, it's not expected to shake it up beyond that. And it's just sort of whenever he feels like it from here. Uh, one more name that I want to touch on before we get out of here. And this would be a transfer South Carolina, uh, I think, but on the the good side of a, of a lot of transfers lately, and it would be another transfer tight end and another guy from Colorado State. So obviously the Mike Bobo tie significant there. But Chris, what do you know about Trey McBride and the likelihood that he does end up at South Carolina? Well, you know we we know that we're we should be you know keeping an eye out on McBride. It's a guy in which I think there's going to be some mutual mutual interest there now that he's in the portal and can communicate. Obviously, he's got the relationship with Mike Bobo, with Joe Cox, you know, came over to South Carolina from Colorado State. He coached receivers last year, but at Colorado State. But uh, McBride had a had a breakout year last year. I mean, he's a, he's now thought of as a legitimate pro prospect. You know, he's a 6'4", I think 250, 260 pound guy who caught over 40 balls from them last year. I think he had four touchdowns. So uh, he's he's a pass catching threat. He knows the offense. You know, again, Mountain West, they, they moved their season to the spring. And so, you know, Warren Jackson, who was their big-time receiver there, had a huge year last year. He's going ahead and announced he's preparing for the draft. You know, for, for McBride, it looks like he wants to go give it a run somewhere. Will he be able to become eligible immediately or not? We don't, we don't know that. Uh, but it makes a lot of sense on both sides. I mean, South Carolina has some young talent at tight end, but, still trying to develop some guys. And look, this is the way I put it this morning on the Insiders Forum and somebody asked me, you know, I don't know that it even matters what your tight end room looks like right now. If you can add a guy like McBride, I think you do it. You know, it's just whether it's this season for the future, he's a guy that's proven and he's, he's a good player. You know, he's a guy that's really good and could potentially help you. Well, y'all will be keeping an eye on that and keeping us all up to date on GamecockCentral.com. And uh, once we get a final word on that one way or the other, we'll certainly talk about it right here on another Carolina podcast. Uh, went a little bit long today. Plenty to talk about. Uh, feels really nice for football season to be back. And, again, by the time we talk this time next week, South Carolina will have had a few more practices under their belt and a few more uh, legit-looking practices. So, uh, so plenty to talk about. Uh, rate, review, subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss it. Hard foul coming up with uh, Colin Taylor tomorrow as well. 
Uh, South Carolina basketball gearing back up, although what that season looks like is uh, still a little bit up in the air. Football got it figured out. Now it's basketball's turn, but we'll have uh, a bunch more with Colin tomorrow. And again, uh, GamecockCentral.com. Be a subscriber there. Plenty of good stuff, football, basketball, uh, anything else that tickles your fancy, anything else that you want to stay informed on with regards to South Carolina athletics, that's the, that's the place to do it. So thanks so much for listening. For Wes, for Chris, I'm Pearson, and we'll talk to you next week. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads Money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text HOPE NY in New York.